Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 32nd episode of Slime Time, the official DQ Dragon's Den podcast. This is Platy M3. And this is Liam Land. Joining us today, we have a special guest host, Blue Star. Some semblance of hi. Oh, wait. No, that's, that's the script. Uh, see, uh, th- th- thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> a pleasure, as always. So did you guys catch the superb owl last night? Oh, yes, yes. Go Bucks! My team won. First time in 18 years. I'm so excited. I'm waiting for the parade. I'm totally taking a day off of work this week to uh, go to Tampa and go to the parade. Nice. Mask up. Yep. (laughs) Be safe. (laughs) After the lightning parade, um, they did that pretty quickly back in, I think, September, October. And that got really crazy. So um, Tampa's not having the parade like one or two days after the championship. They're like, yeah, we're going to try to figure out a better way to do this than what the chaos that the lightning championship devolved into. Nice. And uh, Blue Star, you didn't see, uh, you didn't watch the game at all, or? I did not watch the game, but if you want some superb owl facts, I might be able to oblige. Uh, much appreciated. We'll we'll have to put those superb owl facts in the uh, in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> so well, uh, recently while while walking through uh, Ishigaki's main and only town, uh, my wife pointed out a flyer for a restaurant for a. A Dragon Quest themed play area for kids. So of course I wanted to go right away. Uh, the the restaurant was called Coco Lagato, and um, it was mainly Japanese uh, kind of Thai fusion food. Um, and when we got there, the the there was a merch shelf uh, just full of uh, different figurines. They had a Dragon Lord. Uh, he had the the uh, Roto's shield um, and and all sorts of uh, different slimes um, around the shelf and then just below that in the little play area as well. Um, and so it just happens to be that the, uh, it's not a Dragon Quest themed restaurant per se, but it was a, um, the owner of the restaurant is a big Dragon Quest fan. So we just had merch everywhere. So it was cool. We sat down, we had a meal, uh, my wife, uh, my son and I, uh, my daughter was actually asleep in the car, um, and he put on the Dragon Quest V uh, orchestral concert on the TV for us uh, as we ate. So I, I would, had such a good time. I said, you know what? You know, they, they, they gave me beer out of a little slime glass. They said, I'm, I'm coming back here for my birthday. So um, technically speaking, my birthday's today, but we went out last night. We went back to uh, um, we went back to the restaurant. This time, uh, the baby was uh, wide awake, and uh, we had the whole family there. As soon as I walked in, they gave me a slime cap, uh, and they had set up. Uh, they had printed out a special menu that said <laughs> "Happy Birthday, Liam!" over the uh, uh, the emblem of Roto, um, and uh, and with like a special menu specifically for tailored for my birthday. I thought it was super cool. And I, it was just all thanks to just me nerding out with the owner of the restaurant about dragon quest. Um, so, that uh, is so cool. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, took, he took a bunch of figurines and he put them, uh, up against the edge of the table. And of course my son knocked over the dragon Lord on the floor. Uh, it was a critical attack. Um, <laughs> but, uh, thankfully it wasn't broken. Um, all right. Now. So today we have a very special guest and fellow Dragon Quest IX multiplayer enthusiast. He's one of the longest running members of Nintendo World's, uh, or Nintendo New York's now, uh, Dragon Quest IX Tag Mode Tuesday. Um, joining us from New York is my old friend and priest to my gladiator, RPG Wizard. 
Hello. Welcome Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's good to have you. Hello again. Oh, hey. That's right. That's right. You two, you two have actually met in person. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, let's get to know our guest. All right. So, RPG Wizard, how did you come up with your username? Uh, well, a wizard is someone who uh, is good at things. And uh, I've always been very partial to RPGs. So even uh, when I was uh you know six or seven so i figured well this makes sense and it's a double meaning because wizards are a class in rpgs too so i've also been making puns for the entirety of my life (laughs) (laughs) that makes sense so you're you're um uh in dragon quest 9 is very punny and uh and you love puns as well uh so how did you originally get into the dragon quest series uh geez let's see when I was uh, three or four, my cousin uh, from my cousin brought over a uh, NES he got when he was in Taiwan and was playing uh, Dragon Quest Three in Japanese. And apparently, he could parse just enough of it to be able to play it. I had no idea what was going on, but the game looked fascinating. Uh, and this held true when he also imported Dragon Quest Four. And then I remember uh, your so later when i was when we picked up the uh english version of dragon warrior 3 and wondering why is spell in the menu why would i ever want to spell something (laughs) (laughs) spelling is for chumps well i was like five as far as i understood clearly spelling had some sort of power otherwise they wouldn't ask you to do it right <laughs> yeah, that'd be a very, very different game if uh, if attack spells were just you spelling words at the monsters. <laughs> that is an interesting image. <laughs> All right. So RPG Wizard, what are some of your favorite games in the Dragon Quest series, mainline and spinoff? Uh, so for mainline, uh, three is probably my all-time favorite uh, for multitude of reasons, but it uh, was one of the first RPGs I ever played that had a robust class system, and that's always been a, a huge appeal to me. And then uh, also, I'm very partial to 9, which I've always felt was uh, very much like a spiritual sequel to 3, in that it follows a lot of similar templates and also emphasizes having your solo hero and a party of classes that you put together. I'm also rather partial to Eleven. It is just an absolute love letter to the series as a whole, and every little wink and nudge uh, towards other titles in the series and just other concepts in the series just made me always crack a smile, so I'm very partial to that as well. And as far as spin-offs go, uh, Dragon Warrior Monsters will continue to own well over... 200 or 300 hours of my high school life just constantly uh, breeding and rebreeding uh, I believe I still have a notepad file on a uh, hard drive somewhere that just contains a 53 step breeding process of everything I planned to do with the few monsters I had in the farm so maybe a little too much of a fan uh, did you ever get there? yeah 
Heck yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's never too much if you enjoy it. That's true. All right. So um, do you have any favorite mechanics in Dragon Quest games, like reoccurring ones, like monster collecting, job classes, hitting up the casinos? Uh, so the job classes are by far one of the best aspects of the series as a whole, especially the ability to carry things over. Like three, you could carry spells over. Uh, you could carry abilities over in uh, six and seven. Uh, nine, of course, you're carrying also carrying abilities over, and uh, I think just the ability to you know change your path of life and decide. I think I'll try doing something else has always been rather appealing. Uh, monster collecting is great. Some games more fun than others. Uh, I will never forgive Metal Babbles for continuing to elude me in Dragon Quest V. <laughs> never. Your days are numbered. Give me that EXP. I, I was actually able to recruit one of those without even trying when I played it through recently on mobile. That was a huge shock to me. So it's possible. Well, now you're just bragging. I mean, <laughs> it was relevant. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, that's kind of no, like when totally I, when I, like RNG is, is, is a, it's such a, you know, I've, I guess for lack of a better term, random beast, uh, um, because it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll throw, you know, gems or whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll roll in these, in these gotcha games and get nothing. And then you'd look at all the other people posting their screenshots online or just like on the scoreboard. They're like, eh, no big deal. S rank everything. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like it's hit or miss. Uh, I mean, maybe they're paying money, but maybe in the nut. But like, yeah, RNG, RNG is a beast. Agreed. The so other nice thing, the other nice thing about Dragon Quest V on mobile is that they give you uh, at, at the casino you can buy an item that doubles recruitment rates. So that also probably helped. I say probably, it definitely helped. But you have to spend coins on that, which means it's right. You can't you can't really do save state. <laughs> <laughs> you, you mean you have to actually play the casino? I mean, even when you actually play the casino, you just you just walk to the church. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I was gonna say you still got saving resetting. You walk to the church. You say, "Pray to God that didn't just happen." <laughs> <laughs> Basically. All right. I did that well, for a long time, too. Uh, I mean, I know I love sinking over 100,000 coins into slot machines and not getting anything to show for it. <laughs> well, I mean, 11, they make it much easier because they have an uh, autosave that's like right before you walk into the casino or like right after or something like that. So that, you know, you, you lose the jackpot, you just restart the autosave and you're just like walk right back into this casino. Only, <laughs> only it worked like that in real. 3D mode. Oh, okay. So it's different. Yeah, well, then maybe, I can talk about it's... that a little later, but I've discovered that playing in 2D mode was an entirely different beast. Oh, no. Well, maybe it's worth coming out of the, the 2D uh, mode just for the casino. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, now, uh, RPG Wizard, you were actually at the Dragon Quest IX launch event at uh, Nintendo World, now Nintendo New York, uh, where you met Yuji Horii. What can you tell us about the experience of being at the event? Um, so, given this was like 11 years ago, there was... There was definitely something to be said for the amount of excitement and uh, people who really cared about Dragon Quest who were there at like midnight the day before or 2 a.m., which is when I showed up, uh, because I had to be one of the top 30, one of the first 30, otherwise you didn't get the autograph. Uh, which I is hilarious, have... by the way. 
he's only signing first 30 people and there's like how many hundred hundreds of people there well i figure it was 30 because 30 was the cap in uh the re- in the questers rest in dragon quest 9 yes yeah yeah i i i think i mentioned that on a previous podcast too that that was probably the reason it's still kind of funny though yeah, but um, I know I didn't get any sleep, but uh, the group of people were excited. We had all people who had just come from all over the country who just really loved Dragon Quest and Dragon Warrior. A bunch of people brought out their copies of Dragon Warrior they got from Nintendo Power way back in the day. Uh, and then actually getting through the line and getting to go meet uh, Yuji Hori was cool. Uh, we all got to have two autographs, so everyone always went with a copy of Dragon Quest Nine and some other thing they had brought separately. So that was also rather neat. And I know there are photographs of me being at the event looking worlds yeah. younger than I do now. Right, <laughs> yeah, we just actually passed around a, uh, a link from DualShockers of uh, some shots from the event. And there's <laughs> one of you uh, around like 23-ish, no facial hair, just uh, with your backpack like, getting your autograph signed by Ujiori. What kind of wizard is that with no facial hair? A very young and inexperienced one. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, best part about this, though, was that uh, this past year at PAX, he was doing autographs for Dragon Quest XI-S, and I went and managed to get a ticket for that and ran into him again and showed him uh, the photograph uh, from Nintendo, and he, he through his translator, responded, It's been 10 years! <laughs> so... Uh, you, made, you made him feel old. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, let's uh, talk some uh, Dragon Quest IX multiplayer. Um, does anyone want to start with um, uh, RPG? Or did you want to start with your first uh, memory? I mean, we or favorite memory. Like we right off the bat, right after launch, everyone who was especially had come out of state to go and uh, come to the launch, were all desperately trying to jump in and do multiplayer. They had demo stations available with uh, a granite tunnel of woe available for people to go and play co-op through, and like level eighteen to twenty. Uh, built-in characters so we could just go and try to wallop Equinox and um, there was a lot of emphasis on especially from the people who were out of state going like no you gotta tag with me like I'm not gonna get another chance like this (laughs) and they were right (laughs) unfortunately they were (laughs) <laughs> um so I, I one of my favorite memories uh from just the, the meetups is just actually the, this was the first time i was meeting dragon quest fans in person um never before i mean there was uh i almost met up with uh someone to tag um uh monster medals in dragon dragon warrior 3 for game boy color um but then it just it didn't work out um so this was officially the first time um since you know, my first time playing Dragon Warrior in 1989. So, like, first time in in roughly like 20 years that I was actually meeting Dragon Quest, other Dragon Quest uh, fans in person in real life. How about you, Blue Star? So, my multiplayer experience is not nearly as uh, structured as actually going to Nintendo New York. Uh, I reading all of your notes, I kind of feel like a hillbilly living out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So my well, multiplayer. Ex- sorry, what? I was gonna say then it's it's amazing that you even have multiplayer experience living outside of a city. It is, and that's mostly because I have a brother who 
uh, I can drag into playing many, many, many hours of one thing for a very long time. Uh, and I also was able to drag my best friend into it. Um, so it was me, my brother, and my best friend, and we collectively, I think, had about 200 hours in multiplayer. Um, and we weren't super competitive with the legacy bosses. I think I checked my save this afternoon, and the highest legacy boss map I have is Baramos level 2. Uh, I know, I'm definitely a force to be reckoned, reckoned with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but we went spelunking in dungeons all the time. Uh, so that, that was most of what we do. I think, uh, my mom would babysit my friend after school until her parents got home from work. And so the three of us would just all play on our DS for hours and hours and hours, just going through dungeons, running through, Hey, I found a treasure chest. And then everybody tries to scramble over to where the treasure chest is. And inevitably we get into a battle with some really hard monsters. People die. There are coffins laying around uh, waiting for people to come zing. It was, a, it, it was a lot of fun and it was a huge part of my childhood. Yeah, that's something I wish that I had done a little bit more with uh, with the group. Because um, we, tended, we tended to do exclusively uh, the... Uh, the legacy bosses um but uh on on occasion we would do uh uh grottos um but when you've got four people and they're all running towards trying to run towards the end um and then there's that one guy who starts the battle you know and everyone's just like ah <laughs> oh. <laughs> when you're trying okay. to avoid the speed to the end well, you see, it's fun casting Vanish and sneaking around the monsters and, like, waiting for them to pass through the narrow parts of the hallway and, say, the Ruins dungeon. But it's even more fun when you can yell at your friend for starting the battle. <laughs> the pro strat was obviously just get to a different floor. That way you weren't dragged into the battle. Yeah. Well, also, I think if you're on the same floor but you were far enough away, you can you could. Yeah. It but was then definitely hear, a distance thing. Yeah. And then if you were with someone under leveled, they'd be like, uh, little help. <laughs> Come back and find my coffin. <laughs> Just haul up four or five floors going like, okay, where are you? Why'd you make that turn? I have the map already. I, I have the map already uh, pulled out for you. I've completed this grotto. Why are you going off in this corner? There's nothing here. I don't, I don't remember why, but I think I have some memories of us. Like the entire party wiped, and then the host comes back and tries to like find the coffins and and revive everybody. Is there I... a reason we did that to to keep from losing gold or something? I uh, don't. I don't. Does it work that way? I don't necessarily remember. I I do think it would save you gold if you didn't have to revive at the church. But I think if everybody wipes in the same battle, everybody goes back to the church. Hmm. There's so... other ways to ham it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I'm recalling at least a few instances where we had some newcomers come and we wanted to help them get, uh, you know, ridiculously good weaponry or sainted somas or ethereal stones. And so we would go and just like charge a grotto or we'd even do something like um, Masayuki where we'd be just getting them to a point where they can get a few extra levels with Metal King slimes. Mm, yeah. And yeah. what would often happen is that the host or some highly overleveled jerk, uh, I'm not, I might One not be mean? myself, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> would like charge ahead and try to warp everyone to them. And then oftentimes, while the newcomer would try to make their way through, they'd get, you know, brutally mangled, and then others would jump in to help. And on certain maps, you'd get 
things like just gem slimes dropping lasers and just wiping the rest of the party and the host comes back and goes all right hang on i'm coming back up here to revive all of you stick with me this time i know we had at least a few of those experiences because uh sometimes we just sometimes the newcomer didn't want to play the legacy boss but they wanted to actually get a chance at you know trying out the new swag or getting the map cleared on their save so that they uh, would have the whole thing already pre-mapped for them in the future. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't... Uh, uh, Platy, do you remember... Because um, you, you came to New York uh, one time and met up with us, and that was the first time, and pro- and actually the last time I saw you in person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you remember I, what, what we fought? We fought one legacy boss. I, I That's all I remember doing. Um, it took me a while to figure out how to do some multiplayer stuff and i only had a level 99 paladin so that was my class that's great and yeah that's um, great what did i what's the thing that i cast so we didn't all get hurt forbearance night watch combo yep i I think that was pretty much what i did (laughs) that was the sum total of my experience but that was cool and was multiplayer too much menuing for you platy i don't don't understand the question because i don't know what you mean by menu like that's something at a restaurant we don't go to restaurants now with the pandemic (laughs) what's a restaurant what's a restaurant um so the the personalities of the group uh helps to add flair uh to the party that's missing i think from the party members in the story mode where uh in one player you've got just these silent um protagonist characters uh who even disappear during any of the uh uh, I often think of many people who dislike the game without appreciating the versatility of it, and that many people were unable to take advantage of the multiplayer, which um, which really makes this game ahead of its time. Um, so, yeah, I mean that that's one of my favorite memories is just the 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 personality and the flair of just like the other people you're playing with add to um, the otherwise missing personality in the one player mode for the side characters. I think. Uh, honestly, the the couch co-op aspect, uh, but being on a portable handheld, really allowed for a fully different experience. Uh, it's it kind of reminded me of like playing games like Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles with friends in college, where you you get a whole uh, you get a whole rapport with the other members of your group. Everyone knows what they're doing, or how to screw things up in a hilarious and, dr- and drastic manner. And yeah. the fact that Dragon Quest IX let you bring that around with you was really great. Couch co-op is underrated. Very much so. With uh, yeah. young kids, I love having couch co-op on games. Um, but yeah, you, RPG Wizards, you just reminded me of, uh, uh, you know, you, you said everyone knows what they're doing. And that's uh, that's true, but we still, you know, we still communicate to one another and say like, hey, can you do this or can you do that? And I don't know if you were taking it personally or, or if you were kidding, but I, I, I would be like, hey, can I can you get healed next round? And you just you just yelled back, don't tell me how to priest. Uh, and I, st- I still don't know if you were kidding or not. The answer to your question is yes. I was totally kidding and serious. Don't tell me how to priest. <laughs> I'll drop an Omni heal when it's the right time to drop an Omni heal. Uh, Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you guys? Any other any other favorite uh, memories? So I don't know if anybody else had this kind of experience, but I 
definitely had some spawns that would not regenerate no matter how long I waited or how hard I tried. Uh, so I definitely snuck away while playing in my my brother's world to go steal his his spawns. Specifically, Brighton Rocks did not like me in my world. Uh, but my brother had oodles, so, you know, he, he, he won't even notice they're gone if I just take <laughs> some. <laughs> Now, is that have does that have to do with the um, the type of save file RPG Wizard? Do you know um, the timing on that? Is like if if you have like a C style game or um, like one of the other types of, uh, of of essentially like the fountain types? Yeah, it, if your game has a like water type or a grass type, I believe it's really bad about spawning things like ores or uh, brain rocks. But if you have like sand type. Uh, your game would be a lot more generous about it. And like that reminds me of a uh, running joke that would happen, especially in the early days of uh, Tagma Tuesday, where once you manage to fully upgrade the inn and get your 30 uh, tags, the, the basement, the fountain opened up inside of the uh, Quester's Rest, and mm -hmm. uh, that would generate a resource uh, times however many hundreds of total tags you got up to 1,000, which you know got you 11... Uh, left items in there and whenever uh we played multiplayer you know someone would charge down into the fountain and just start grabbing the stuff in there because uh, some players had much better world types than others and so uh one of the uh one of the old players uh from uh tagmo tuesday who went by the moniker Erdrick had a grass type world which meant that yggdrasil leaves could spawn in his fountain and oh, so wow. Whenever he hosted, like just everyone would tear down there, and it would get him very annoyed because he wanted those Yggdrasil leaves. And the <laughs> time it takes for uh, the time it takes for resources to spawn uh, varies based on game type. So for having a grass type, it meant that he was just constantly getting them, and <laughs> it got to the point where we all would just we'd like go, okay, let's go and fight this legacy boss, but first, and just charge down there and it got to the point where he was shouting things like get out of my fountain i'm closing my world <laughs> so that was uh that was destructor 526 right yes that was indeed yeah yeah yeah. yeah so he he was one of the original hosts of slime time in like the first iteration of it um so you may you may know him uh as the guy who uh, uh who knew a lot about the statistics um uh, but yeah, that's that's I do remember that him getting really pissed off at that, and also uh, what was it claptrap? So you could claptrap combo, and there was uh, <laughs> there was either a really high max or no max, and the claptrap is basically just like slapping in the face. <laughs> so so we and you could combo it four times. So if everybody did it, so we'd be in a battle against let's say like Dragon Lord, and everyone. Everyone except for him would do the claptrap, and he would just get so pissed off that it was such a cheap way to win a battle against the Legacy boss, just going up and slapping it in the face. I mean, it, it just it wasn't very efficient. It was kind of goofy, but the max, but the damage cap on claptrap was nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. Nothing else we did had that cap. Like, <laughs> like falcon slashing is just one thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. So yeah, you could get a bunch of them, but. You could just claptrap combo. Everyone goes in and high fives the boss in the face, <laughs> and frustrated him endlessly just because it felt. I, I guess part of it was we're not taking it seriously, which we weren't, and part of it was just you know we could do this faster if you just went and fought the boss normally. No, high five. 
<laughs> what did the five fingers say to the face? <laughs> oh, man. Combo. <laughs> I actually didn't know that different world generations was a thing. So that's actually really interesting. And I'm totally not playing my save right at this moment. And I'm curious to see what kind of world I actually have. Unfortunately, um, the that that actually can't be changed. So I think that's generated when the save file is. So you can't go in and like let use the save editor to, you know, adjust which type you have, unfortunately. That's okay. I'm mostly just curious. <laughs> There's actually a funny thing about that. If you jump in someone else's world, your game temporarily takes the world ID. And so the other benefit of everyone just charging uh, Destructor or Erdrich's world was once we left, we temporarily had a Grass World ID until we reset, until we rebooted our DSs, and so uh, you can effectively borrow a world type, which means that you want to go and find a friend who has a type that you really want and just never reset. Especially in my <laughs> case, because my my world type is Mushroom. Yeah, I, I sure like having a whole bunch of finescence and aggressance, but uh, that's not going to get me very far in the final. Uh, the legacy bosses funny i didn't know that uh, is that the thing where like it does it reset with battle records or like it's basically just uh, a hard reset is what resets it um i'm not sure whether it's whether a uh hard a hard reset or just a quick save quick load will uh get rid will refresh it but i know that uh i did end up changing up the timing temporarily for a while so i used that time to just run off to the to the uh one place where you get yggdrasil leaves and just go okay mm -hmm. Every, I think it's like 75 or 90 minutes, grab another one, which is much better than mushroom type, which I believe was like two and a half hours before it uh, respawned. Okay. So, all right. Uh, in theory, if you were to, to go in, let's say you had someone who had uh, a C type or, or just something, uh, a desirable type, and you copy their, um, their, their save ID and you replace yours with theirs, would that change the world? Uh, I have no idea how the actual game hand, where the game stores the uh, world ID. You'd have to ask oh, someone okay. who has a better grasp of the save data. Uh, the save okay. editor is good, but I figure it's more powerful in the hands of someone who like has really broken into the game and sunk their teeth in, like say Yab or Melon GX. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll get that to uh, uh, Gratis's forum uh, or his uh, Discord channel um has probably the most knowledgeable uh dragon quest 9 players i've ever seen just completely on talking about stuff that i just can't even fathom <laughs> but uh okay all right cool um so yeah the the, the uh the multiplayer also would reveal certain things that that i, I we didn't really see um uh in any other in, in any of the single player mode like uh well um Didi Drova uh his 3DS would routinely drop connection uh which led to a really random scenario where the game actually an uh, anticipated this scenario uh and wrote a single dialogue box to explain it so essentially we'd be in a battle against the legacy boss and he would get a critical attack on the boss which immediately focuses the boss attentions on him so the boss is now like looking he's rage filled against his character and then drova's 3ds would just drop the connection uh and and then you know then it, it, the dialogue box would come up like you know dragon lord has, has his, dragon lord's rage is extinguished from sight or something like that but they actually had a scenario where if you're in multiplayer and the boss is focused on you and you drop 
they had like a, a box they had a dialogue box to explain that which i thought was kind of interesting the cool thing i felt about multiplayer when it just if you play through the story with someone is how all the NPCs have an entirely different thing to say to you because you're not the hero of the story. And so you could get uh, lots of like little side comments, this, even during uh, post-game quests, like when you're talking to um, uh, King Godwin or Godfrey, I don't remember which one's the father. If you're doing multiplayer, uh, he has something to say to you, the non-hero, as opposed to the Celestrian who's the hero of the story. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I remember doing that for uh, um, the whale, the Leviathan. Yeah. Yeah, just going up because you, you're not going to generate, as the guest, you're not going to generate the battle. So you can kind of go up and just like talk to the whale before <laughs> before the battle actually starts. And so I think there's like a lot of script there that most players never got a chance to see, but just almost every NPC had, almost every boss had like something to say to you as, so as just like this non-hero going and bothering them. <laughs> That's interesting. I probably have to do that on a replay, uh, do a multiplayer replay as a, as a guest and try that out, see what, what each one of them is saying. Some of them have some really entertaining comments. I don't remember any offhand, but I enjoyed uh, playing through as a secondary player uh, when some friends were playing it for the first time. Um, so, yeah, I, I learned a lot from actually playing with you guys, uh, not just um, the different strategies and everything, but just how to, uh, not just about the game, but how to game the system in certain cases. Because you guys would show up to Nintendo World with um, with little scales, and you'd be weighing the Pokemon cards there. And I said, what, what, are, you, what are you doing with that? Like, why, <laughs> why, why are you doing that? And you had this whole system where you could tell if one of, what was it, the aluminum cards was in there? Uh, that, I think that was all deck of blue, but I believe uh, this is not true anymore, but it used to be that the holographic foil cards were slightly heavier. And so he'd bring in like a jeweler's scale so you could just <laughs> barely get, you know, those slight differences in ounce in like fractions of an ounce and like would just weigh stacks of the car, weigh stacks of the packs to see which ones were just slightly heavier. And uh -huh. um, my understanding is that uh, like collectible card games now counteract that by adding by having uh, like extra cards that contain Internet IDs and things and these are like made with just enough variants so that you can't uh, you can no longer easily uh identify well this pack is just a little bit heavier <laughs> yeah but it, it, he was also deca blue is also the one who he would set his location to delaware on the ds so that he could avoid sales tax yeah that's I right thought, <laughs> i thought that was really yeah that was a really smart thing to do he he, he later i don't know if he is he still at nintendo new york he later got a job there Yep, he's still working there. That's great. That's good to hear he's still uh, employed during the pandemic and everything, that they're still operating. All right. Well, RPG Wizard, do you have any other uh, uh, memories you wanted to uh, talk about from the multiplayer days? Well, uh, like, I can go back to, like, the first month when Tag Mode Tuesday was being pushed very heavily by uh, Nintendo World, and they were doing... You know, giveaways at Best Buy and GameStop for those legacy boss maps that had the all that all had the NOA insert number uh, as the original founder, and so mm. like the first month or so, uh, once players had started getting a, a grasp on how to play, they uh, had 
weekly races for Tagmo Tuesday, where once you were done tagging, uh, one of the uh, one of the store employees would put out some grotto map, and you would team up with a few other players and try to get to the bottom first. And the team that got to the bottom first would get uh, would get a set of the best buy promotional Dragon Quest Nine slime baseball caps. <laughs> oh, nice! And like those are you know super hard to find nowadays, but uh, yeah, that was how I got mine. And I know uh, a few of the players, like Alchemist and uh, Erdrick or Destructor, uh, won several weeks in a row to the point where the staff you know got a good idea of all right these jerks are going to completely spoil the races for everyone else here so <laughs> uh, so first they proclaimed like okay you're not allowed to team up you have to do the you have to do the uh you have to do the run solo also you're not allowed to prize even if you win we would still win like we just <laughs> we would as uh as blue mentioned before we would go in we'd use the same strategy just vanish slip down the stairs and just you know, trudge all the way down as fast as you can. And the uh, skill level just between the people who went super hard like we did and the you know people who just came that week to go and try things out, it was too big a skill gap. So they definitely didn't want to keep on giving out hats to us. <laughs> and then another thing that happened, I know, was like within the second or third week, you know, very soon after the game came out, someone had uh, like action replayed a Japanese save file onto their game, uh, complete with the desired maps of Masayuki and the Kawasaki Locker and a bunch of other, you know, uh, maps that are at this point famous and are mimetic. And they would go in, and so they just, you know, started tagging them out and going like, yeah, this map is really important. It's really big in Japan. And so that set a early precedent for, you come to Tag Mode Tuesday, we give you the good maps. Like, that's what we're here for. And uh, just as a random side, we also found out that uh, when a when a Japanese save file tagged an English save file, it would attempt some form of uh, transliterating the name. Uh, it wouldn't be accurate, but there would be like there was some mapping between the Japanese uh, name and the name that showed up when we tagged it. But that's actually what, possible. Yes, uh, you can oh, tag. You cannot play multi. You cannot play multiplayer with different uh, regions, but you can okay. pl but you can tag. And so okay. I, don't know what the, I don't know what the save file was, but I know that they showed up on our uh, games as RAN, R-A-N. But when we tagged them back, uh, no matter what we put in, it would just be Ego-san, which is like English speaker person. <laughs> I, I remember i remember one time we had a, a new member probably about two to three years into tag mode's existence named cyrus um and uh drove and i were the only one they were we were the only regulars to tag mode that week uh and we proceeded to talk about talk him up about how difficult the level 99 nocturnus fight was um <clears throat> so then we we said you know what let's let's give it a try we'll probably get wiped so then we accidentally go into the fight with no priest because we're not paying enough attention. We're just like, you know, him, Drove and I are just gabbing on and on about, about this fight. We're not paying attention. We jump into the fight without a priest. So we've got three gladiators. Uh, no, uh, two gladiators, a paladin, and then Cyrus is a, uh, I think like a level 66 sage. We're all level 99. And uh, according to Drova, who remembered most of the details, he said we got three night watches in a row. And 
which essentially made Nocturnus miss like almost all of his moves. And just from an insanely lucky RNG situation that's highly unlikely for us to replicate ever again, we ended up winning the nine, level 99 Nocturnus fight with no priest. <laughs> I still call right after the fact. Right after the fact that we were just like talking up how oh we're gonna get our asses kicked. Let's do this. So I come in next week and they're like, "Yeah, we totally beat Nocturnus ninety nine with no priest," and I am gobsmacked. It's like that statistically is highly unlikely, and yet you did it. <laughs> how come we never have that kind of good luck when we try it? Yeah, and we just happen to jar jar binks our way into the fight and 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 win. But uh, yeah, I. I uh, always going to be things that I uh, forget, and and like there was there's definitely a lot of people that I met and just would see it at conventions or just on on in the Twitter sphere uh, or Twitterverse or um, I I remember Shellshock uh, who is a YouTuber um, he did he work at Nintendo World as well or he was just he was there a lot he was um, just a regular he was part of uh, like. Street Pass NYC and a lot of dedicated groups to just hanging out with friends and playing Nintendo with them. Uh, I believe he's a Twitch streamer now, but yeah, you know he he would always show up. Uh, I remember always being annoyed because he would be distracted during a turn, and we'd all have to wait on him to go and uh, get our next attack in on a round. But <laughs> the the thing I remember about him was uh, uh, he was extremely conservative for in-game gold. So instead of staying at an inn, he would go all the way to the Gortress and then walk all the way toward like the center of the Gortress to use that that uh, um, the the healing light that would like heal your MP and HP. I mean, it's free. You can't. That was one of the things I think. That was one of the things like after we'd fight a legacy boss, we'd have to wait for him because he would be walking all the way to the Gortress. (laughs) That's right. That's right. But uh, yeah, that was a yeah. We we it's. That camaraderie is what I miss in not being able to uh, to do these tag mode meetups uh, anymore. But um, yeah, so there was you had sent me some news earlier today from from Reddit that that there might be a uh, a solution uh, in the works um, for potentially uh, mocking up online multiplayer um, for this game through an emulator. Um, do you know anything about it? Uh, only what caught my eye when I was. Uh while I was, I don't remember why I hopped onto Dragon Quest Nine Reddit. I think I was trying to verify one of the things in my own memories, but I saw a new post saying like, "Yeah, I finally have the ability to do online via emulation." And my understanding yep. is that the uh, person is running several emulators uh, at the same time on their computer and connecting them to each other using the uh, using the multiplayer functionality. And proposing that maybe you could use something like Parsec to go and do multiplayer off the internet. And that would be cool if they can do it. But uh, again, this seems like it's uh, only just touching upon any potential problems. Right, but, yeah. So the, you know, the, I hope. The, the Reddit article uh, in particular is from Salty Koopa on Reddit. Uh, and it says, I got... DQ9 multiplayer working on emulation. If we combine this with Parsec, it will be possible to play with a friend online. Um, so it sounds great in theory. I know uh, our um, one of our regular podcasters, Aus Nerevar, uh, has been uh, mentioned on Discord recently that he's been trying this thing for years and it hasn't worked. So more power to them if he's if uh, Salty Coop is able to get it um, get it to work. Then he would be, uh, I think, the first in a couple of fans that have been trying to do this for a while. 
um, that would be amazing. I'd love to see this happen, but this is this is like a race now. Who can get it done first? Uh, can we? Can, can the fans get this done before a an actual DQ9 remake comes out that that has this in it? So we'll pressure's see. On. Yeah, pressure's on Nintendo and, and Square Enix. <laughs> go fans, go, go fans, go. <laughs> Um, so it, let's, uh, do you want to talk about some of the, the common strategies, um, that we, uh, that we used to use in the multiplayer? Um, I know that some of the higher level legacies almost always required some form of like gladiator, gladiator, paladin, priest, um, combination for party, uh, gladiators being the heavy damage dealers, paladins for that night watch coup de gras slash forbearance combo and, uh, priests for healing, especially for Omni heal. Um, were there any other uh hardy makeups that you can that you guys can think of that would be good for um either legacy bosses or just kind of running doing grotto runs uh well in my case i sages were okay the biggest crime for a sage was that kazing was not good enough to make it worth running over a priest having omni heal hmm. uh but we well, had, we'd have just, did Kazing Sorry. fully heal? No, it, it only half heals. It, it didn't, heals. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they really the, the sage is not as strong as the priest in this game uh, for the higher levels. I mean, priest at thirty eight gets a multi heal, and you don't get a sage until the post game anyway. So it's just the sage is in a very awkward position. Mm-hmm. And but you can cast fun spells like Kaboomal and Kazamal. I usually run sage, so <laughs> I mean that's fair. Sages are viable, and especially when you you're doing grottos they had a you know nice complicated tool set i also know that um players like alchemist would go and uh run armamentalist because while it was weaker than gladiator uh the strength difference could easily be fixed by going and harvesting a whole bunch of strength seeds which he had done and he just liked the way armamentalist looked better Hmm. yeah we used to joke about that you know doing like the strength seeding for um uh, the luminary class, and then and <laughs> if you just like jack up, uh, you, you know, the luminary is like a pop idol, a Japanese pop idol, or whatever, um, uh, like a teen superstar uh, class um, with like lots of dance based attacks and everything. So we we would joke around like just completely seed max seed level the uh, the luminary class and just have like a uh, like a character that looks like Justin Bieber and is like has the strength of Vin Diesel. <laughs> <laughs> it was still it was funny then it's still funny now <laughs> um then yeah that yeah, one of the other strategies we would uh routinely use is just switch to a, a hypernova or any kind of stardust family of swords um and uh and just falcon slash combo to uh to have two chances to drop defense um and then switch to the falcon blade blade or uber falcon blade for gladiators and just slash away um any other any other combos like that uh like attack combos you remember not really like the problem was that if we tried using too many buffs we would usually just invite a uh disruptive wave and completely undo all of our work but dropping their defenses was not something that any of the bosses could ever undo on their own so a lot of the uh, end strat was always just, can I debuff you? And then can we hit you as hard as possible while you're debuffed? And because uh, we could all equip swords once you've you know gotten enough, once you got sword mastery and so on, it meant that on a off turn, everyone just went for the falcon slash combo. Because uh, you could just, if you could get the two times bonus on the last person being a gladiator, which tended to be slow, you got a good amount of damage in on that turn. Nice. 
Yeah, I do remember that. Um, then there was also the um, uh, using the f you could use the force, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is another another one of DQ9's many puns. Um, but I the force is kind of like a it's like a soul power that I think might be a nod to Soul Blazer. Um, but it, it, they had that one character I think Windy or something like that that had a, a, a little soul floating around it and talking kind of very similar to um, the soul you get at the beginning of soul blazer that then just like rotates around you as you play the whole game. Um, but yeah, you use this force power and it would just be elemental forces that, uh, that either um, aid your attack or defense. Um, so there would be uh, each one of the legacies had a, had a strength or a weakness to a certain force power. And you could use that uh, particularly with the scrolls. You could force the entire party uh, and give that extra uh, level of attack or defense, which was always fun. The armamentalist scroll is important. Yes, definitely. The scroll is possibly the second, if not the first, most important scroll in the game. What's the first? The uh, the shield scroll for black Secret and critical. Like the shield is debatably more important, uh, but a bunch of the legacy bosses had ways to do crits to get around it. Like Orgo Demir could do a fly swat, which was not technically a crit. And uh, same with uh, with Mortimer or Rapthorn just kind of uh, smashing you with a, with their fist, which, again, high damage like a crit, but not technically a crit. Boo, they're cheating. <laughs> I mean, it was still an advantage of multiplayer to have four party members with, with each of these major scrolls, like having four. You can't do that in single mode, where now you could have four shield scrolls uh, for each character to block most of the critical attacks um, or for uh, force powered uh, armamentalist scrolls or the gritty ditty for half oomphing the entire party. Those were the three that I remember the most being uh, the most useful. I think there was one other that was incredibly useful. Um... There was a, a counterattack one, but it was the, the, the chances of it actually working were very, very sl slim. It would just, it would be like a, a shot in the dark that it would, uh, that the, the monster would attack you and you'd immediately counterattack them. Yeah, that was the Warrior's Workbook, but the, re but the Warrior's Workbook was still very useful to have, especially on every member of the party, because it also counted as, as an evade. So you still oh. got out of taking any damage when you did the counter. So while you had no right. chance of doing it and low amount of damage output, it, you still got away without taking anything, and that made it super worthwhile. I also mm. totally forgot about Thief's Theory, which just gave us double yes. drops. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was just thinking about that when you were saying there was one other scroll. Yeah, Thief's theory, um, which would uh, it, it increases your chance of random steals at the end. So we would use that for legacy bosses because you'd get extra orbs, and uh, um, a lot of times, just if any one character steals an orb, we all get the orb, which is yeah. another advantage of the multiplayer. Yeah, the, the fact that everyone got all drops in a battle in multiplayer meant you could also get multiples of like one-time items in a game because you would just play if you played multiplayer and you fought uh godwin and he dropped his uh staff that's the only time in the game you'll get one of those but if you're playing multiplayer uh then you know the person tagging along also gets one so you could get more than one like that uh and because the Thief's Theory scroll was an additional attempt at getting a drop for each person who had it. It meant that whenever we fought uh, legacy bosses, you know, that's instead of it being one shot at a drop, it's five shots at each uh, drop attempt. So it made getting orbs so much easier. Why, why was it five? Because well, if each of us has Thief's Theory, the game rolls to see if the boss drops normally and then rolls against 
the first player's thief series, the second player's thief series, the third player's thief series, and the fourth player's thief series. So gotcha. each of those, uh, each player basically forced another attempt at a draw. Okay. I like how you say rolls, like, like, like the like game is playing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually have the game open right now, and I'm looking through my scrolls. Uh, I'm partial to the Sage's Scripture, which gives you access to the Tukus Pocus ability that echoes your spells. Um, I used that to absolutely decimate Malroth, who was weak to Zam. Uh, that was fun. That was probably the legacy boss that I fought the most, just because I could destroy him. It was fun. Um, could you use Mar- that with the magic burst? Or would that not make sense? Because like the immediately the first casting of magic burst would actually um, get well, rid it, of like, oh, your, your MP. That, that isn't the problem. Your second casting does nothing. You don't have the MP for it. Right, yeah, okay. That's what, that's what right. I was curious about. Yeah, because it's based on how much you spend. So it's not an echo. It's yeah. It would just be double casting. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, like Tukus Pocus was really nice. It just has the same problem that Gritty Diddy does, which is you get enough buffs, and the boss goes, "I think you need a freezing wave." Yeah. <laughs> Disruptive wave. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Um, I'm also looking at this uh, martial artists manual lets you take tension from battle to battle. So if everybody has that, you could all theoretically enter a boss battle at 100 tension. Unfortunately, it drops tension by one tier uh, once you finish the battle. Really? Yeah, so the best you could do is enter a battle with 50 tension, which is good. Okay. But... It, it's not the same thing as the utter bustedness that is 100 tension. Mm. Dang. Uh, Gladiator's Guide lets you perform two hits per turn sometimes, which but, seems kind of fun. Uh, attack, though. Yeah. Um, Mage's Manual is weakening wave ability, so that might be good for a debuff. Priest's Primer is wave of relief, which is um, get is rid that, of that status effects, right? It gets yeah, it gets rid of everybody's status effects. effects. Hmm. Yeah, but you only have a certain number of scrolls that you can take in because your inventory is is limited. Yeah. So you have to kind of pick and choose what's going to be the what's going to be the most important for you and the group. Um, so yeah, it's 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 tough to kind of pick which ones, but I think the ones that used to win out the most were uh, Armamentalist Thieves Theory, um, the Gritty Diddy Scroll, and uh, uh, the Shield. Yeah, Secrets of the Shield. Everybody goes into the boss battle and they just sing the entire time to increase your attack. That's the luminary one. No, that's the that's, that's the, uh, gritty, gritty diddy. diddy. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> gritty diddy's minstrel, I think. The minstrel's manual. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, luminary luminary gives you access to the gold rush ability, which I rely on way too much for grotto monsters. It was super good when diving grottos, especially when you before you know we had gotten crazy Strong. nights of exp with metal king slimes. It's just I have a problem. I'll throw money at it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I did it so many times. Uh, 500 raw damage to just about everything in there. It's really hard to pass up. It's like super good against things like the uh, higher level spiders and the um, like the gold 1000 and other giant robots. It's just these things can rack up a lot of damage really fast. Or I can just throw money at the problem. <laughs> Like, it's a good I don't strat. Think I, I don't remember using that one too much in, in multiplayer, but I remember occasionally we had uh, Deca Blue, uh, who, who was our White Tux paladin. Uh, <laughs> he was the paladin that was uh, dressed in the White Tuxedo from the uh, DQVC sale. And um, uh, I think that was the wed- the wedding sale, yeah. And so we had, he had a White Tuxedo and a top hat on, um, which never got dirty, no matter how many battles he, <laughs> he fought. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, what kind yeah, of detergent does he use? 
It's got to be tied. Um, <laughs> it's uh, so he would he would occasionally or, or some, somebody would occasionally just just throw in one of those luminary dance abilities. And then you just see like everyone, uh, <laughs> every, everyone doing this whole dance a thon. And then it takes for some reason, the, the, the boss monster takes damage. It's just like Michael Jackson Moonwalker style magic. I mean, Disco Stew was really good just because um, it hit everything, it hit all opponents, and it course. did out of damage. Simpsons pun, Disco Stew. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, I also remember the uh, you you could you could kind of watch the RNG a little bit if you had um, uh, one of the monsters like Nocturnus or legacy bosses like Nocturnus or um, I forget the the dragon's name, but uh, I think it's a spoiler anyway, so I won't mention it. But the one the dragon that has three attacks. Um, you know, uh, and it uses magic burst. It always has a couple of build-up, uh, like one or two build-up moves that does, like um, uh, it ups its attack or something, or it ups it, it ups its defense, and you can sort of tell it's coming. So if you catch if you catch it right, the RNG, like so, it, so it's not the first move he makes. You can sort of tell when it's coming, and just everybody defending champion, or if you're lucky, night watch forbearance combo that that round. Yeah, they always have a uh, tell that they're getting ready to magic burst, and as long as as long as one of us is paying attention, we we should manage to go and uh, prevent it from utterly wrecking the party. Um, any other strategies you guys can think of that that would be useful for multiplayer? This isn't really a strategy, but how often did you guys, in your multiplayer experience, see co-op degrads? Not often, but I think maybe I only ever saw us do that maybe twice in like the eight years that we <laughs> that we were playing. <laughs> RPG Wizard, you 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 spent more time in it than I did. You know, did did you see that more often or? So a co-op de gras would be uh, would be especially earlier on when we didn't have anyone who ran who ran Paladin. We would run things like three gladiators and a priest. Co-op de gras was the only way to get uh, the invincibility of like Night Watch because the priest. Co-op de Gras does the same thing, and so uh, the question always became: Do we want everyone to tension boost as a gladiator, or do we just all hold out long enough to uh, Co-op de Gras, and then we can use our invulnerability to tear into the boss? So it came up a decent amount, but once you have a regular paladin, it doesn't really need to happen. Yeah, I I think I only saw it once or twice too, but once the the first time that. I saw it my first playthrough of the game when I got to the final boss of the story. I said, you know, we'll take care of him later. Uh, and I got my entire team to like level 80 or something before going to fight him finally. Wow. Uh, <laughs> really, I just procrastinated it. You know, it's it's fine. Uh, but while I was fighting him, I got the co-op de gras like halfway through the fight or something and he was really easy but i didn't know that 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 was a thing so i'm sitting here in this like epic battle and i actually killed him with i think oh, i don't remember what it was maybe quadra slash was the co-op de gras that i used uh but it was a very satisfying kill of the last boss nice i mean you're dropping a giant friggin sword on a uh, fallen angel seems pretty good to me <laughs> yeah i had i had been doing some metal king grotto grinding before i finished the main story so by the time i got to that final boss the same thing like i had recently class changed one of the characters to warrior and he was like level 20 and i still won the fight i mean i know that uh 
for a for a bunch of time, one thing that uh, I would do is you would just carefully stall turns out if you had a uh, fight with like two Metal King slimes and something else, and you killed both Metal King slimes, you could just stall out until you triggered Hallelujah, which was the armamentalist or thief co-op de gras, because you could multiply your EXP and gold and uh, drops uh, by up to like three times as much, which made things easier. Uh, Dragon Quest XI's pep, uh, pep powers yep. of multiple characters is very much a throwback to the co-op de gras, complete with Electrolyte making another appearance. I didn't even know Electrolyte was an option. Because it's so rare that you never even... <laughs> yeah, that was the downside of Co-op Degras. You didn't really get to see them unless you already knew about them. That's true. I think you can go to Gra uh, Dragon's Den and actually watch all of the, uh, the videos for all of the Co-op Degras. So if you don't want to actually um, play the game enough so that you actually generate every single one of them, there's a way... Uh, to to look at them still. Like one thing I know that uh, you could. One thing I know that definitely did a callback to the co-op de gras was um, Dragon uh, Quest Monster Battle Road, either two or Victory, whichever one was on the Wii, had a. Uh, if you called in the Dragon Quest Nine hero, uh, his special attack was to quadra slash and just drop a giant friggin' sword on everything. So. Like the uh, Cop de Gras are still uh, are still very uh, well loved, even within the series and other titles. Nice. Uh, any other uh, strategies that you could uh, you guys can think of? Well, I remember how we kept track of what the uh, enemy was, what the legacy boss was weak to with respect to force, with wonderful adages like, "If it's green, it's weak to frost, unless it's Orgodemir." Yeah, except for Orgodemir. <laughs> then we burned that flame. sucker. Yeah, he was flame. That's right. And yeah, we had, there was also that that one list on um, Game Facts uh, where the guy posted all of them, and I think he even had the Grotto bosses as well. So it wasn't yeah. just the Lexi bosses. That's right. And I also remember that you know, just discussion of how bad the uh, Legacy bosses at ninety nine could get. They're just like there's. If we were to like break them into tiers, there's like the three killers who are just the absolute hardest bosses, unless you have absolute really ridiculous luck fluke uh, experiences. Um, then you know, okay, but like Nocturnus, S. Stark, and uh, Dragon Lord were just the absolute worst. They would have they had huge amounts of damage. They got. You know, they made use of their three terms very effectively, and uh, they had plenty of elemental coverage, and that just made them at 99. Just you had to really carefully plan out your uh, fight with them, and then if you were to go, you know, slightly slightly less ridiculous, you'd have ones like Zoma or Malroth, who just again tore through you uh, as quickly as possible. And like the, you had to learn strategies for how to handle each of these bosses like Mortimer especially was because you could knock out his hands and then face him uh as you continued the fight it just got easier right well you had to you had to knock out the uh i think it was the left hand or his left hand stage yeah. left um because that was the one that uh that casts kazing uh, the other parts. Yep. That is um, and what I think it is in the, in the I, in actual Dragon Quest Six. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just <laughs> going to say that. I think that's the same strategy they took from from the actual game. 
I mean, that's the point of the Legacy Boss. Lots of callbacks. Yeah, I, th I definitely have beaten Legacy Bosses way more than I've beaten Dragon Quest games with these bosses in them. So it's kind of funny to go back and beat some of these old games and be like, oh, it's that guy from Dragon Quest IX, even though I played, <laughs> I played through those games first. Yeah. Uh, and I love how they take the music. Um, I mentioned this in the last uh, podcast we did uh, about the story mode, but I love how they... They would, uh, when you go into the legacy boss fights, they actually have the music that you that that's from their game, like the final boss music. I believe I recall you complaining that one of them did not have the correct theme. I yeah, I thought I actually remember you complaining about that, but <laughs> it's entirely possible. I just don't remember which one it was. Ah, uh, maybe it was Varamos or Zoma. I don't remember. I I I'm just grasping at straws here. I don't remember, but I remember you being distinctly annoyed about it because uh, you really loved the individual boss themes and you felt that they totally missed out on their uh, chance to make use of yet another excellent theme. <laughs> that's. I guess that sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eventually we're going to do a... Uh, and a potty's not big on the music, so uh, we're going to do one probably with me and... Uh, um... Pendy about uh, just all the different themes and stuff and, and Koichi Sugiyama music. Um, um, but uh, yeah, that that's something that uh, that's something that I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. Just like all the soundtracks, even if I don't like, let's say, the repetitiveness of some of the soundtracks. If you're playing it in game, I'll often put a soundtrack on in the background, like the orchestral version, and just play with the sound off that way. I mean, that sounds good to me. And I'll argue that actually Dragon Quest VI, the Super Famicom version, sounds excellent. I, I like the soundtrack, the in-game soundtrack. Somehow I find the tones are like even richer than the DS version and the mobile version. There's something about it that I, I it's hard to explain, but uh, if you ever have a chance to go listen to that original soundtrack, uh, give it a shot sometime. Sounds good to me. I will definitely check that out. Um, anybody, anybody else? The only, the only last thing I would think to mention is... Um, the the skill trees in this game um just pumping everything into those base classes so you get those uh those boosts i mean that was how i was able to tackle that final boss in the game with a level 20 warrior um, oh yeah because he was jacked up with all of these stat boosts from the classes um and that can be a little bit hard because when you when you first start the game you want to pump your uh your skills skill trees for the weapons um but it's actually better to do like pick one weapon maybe per character and then do um the rest uh dump it into the base level classes um for those for those boosts yeah each character one to level level one to level 99 gets 200 skill points i believe and i think you can get to 100 on say your base class skill by level 30 nine i want to say 38 yeah, it's 38, 38 or 39 that's definitely right yeah no i remember it being 38 to get to 100 and then all the rest to get and like, to yeah the rest, the rest it trickles out slowly um yeah so you can i think you can max almost everyone if you if you uh if you got the if you went every every class to 99 you could get almost every skill tree except for maybe like one or two yeah so but then you just have to revocate once or twice and then you can you can get them yeah so there's there's 12 weapon skill trees and 12 uh class skill trees and 12 classes so each 
if if you do one weapon and one class skill tree for each uh, class, you get everything except for shields and fisticuffs. So it's you really only need to revocate once on one vocation in order to max everyone's skills. Yeah, but you want shields though. <laughs> I mean, okay, you, you could you could skip something like boomerangs instead of shields, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, on replays, I actually didn't even bother with some of like like fisticuffs or like because that just clutters up your um your ability uh, list, and then you can't you can't undo that with the save editor. I tried to like uncheck some stuff. Um, so it's great if you want all the accolades, that's fine. But like when you're in battle and you now have to scroll through like 44 all of pages these, of abilities. Yeah, all of these <laughs> abilities for weapons you don't have equipped at the time or probably won't, it's kind of a pain. But, uh, but yeah, so any, any subsequent replays, uh, that I did, I always took that out, uh, or just, just didn't bother to, uh, to max so just, I, I did usually swords, spears, uh, for the thunder thrust ability and then um, uh, shields, and then all the base base level classes. And that's like, I guess, the fastest way to, to max everything you need. Um, but yeah, we, we, we used to actually, we used to talk about this too, because I used to be a hatchet man guy. And I was just like, yeah, that's, uh, for some reason, it's it feels like it that connects more than Thunder Thrust, which is complete bogus. That's like, that that's not a thing. They're, they're the exact same 50-50 crit or miss attack but uh rpg wizard was like you know actually the animation is slightly <laughs> shorter by like a fraction of a second maybe if for thunder thrust so that like ultimately it's like you can cast more thunder thrusts than hatchet man hatchet man is actually technically slightly slower by a fraction so it makes more sense to do thunder thrust than it does hatchet man so that that essentially won out and then i was i had to admit to myself yeah it just it's not more effective it just it was just random luck i'm not gonna lie i have in my party of four i have two thunder thrust users and two hatchet man users because i have two pokers and two bad axes gotcha and that's what we go with i love the bad axe actually that was when i didn't have the starter sword that was my one go-to weapon for defense dropping for uh um helm splitters oh, Helm Splitter, yes, yeah. Helm Splitter is a great ability. Yep, it's a great throwover from Dragon Quest Eight too. Mm-hmm. That was one of in in Heroes. I used to spam that a lot with the, with the Angus. Anything that lowers and lowers the enemy's defense is great because he can't frigid wave to get rid of it. Yeah, <laughs> you make me sound like such a pedant, by the way. You're not wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. You make all your guests sound like this. I'm like, what? I don't know. Just you know, just dragging, just drag as hard as you can, I guess. All right. I don't know. I'm not sure. I understand that, but we'll uh, uh, we'll clear that up. Um, all right. So, does anybody else have any uh, any other strategies uh, that you remember? All right. So then, let's move on to a little game we like to call Marry Thwack Puff Puff. Um, so RPG wizard, while we were talking five minutes ago, I remembered that this was a thing and, uh, <laughs> and now I've got to, um, uh, we've got to pick, um, three characters. Uh, do you know this game at all? We, if you've listened to any previous, uh, episodes that we've done that had, that's had this, uh, I, I know, I think I know something similar to it. Okay. Yeah. It's the, it's essentially the, uh, what is it, the Mary? Mary, uh, bed, wed, behead. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah. All right. So in it's the Dragon Quest form. Obviously, Mary, uh, we know what that is. Thwack. Uh, let's say it's an effective Thwack. Um, and Puff Puff is the equivalent of, uh, well, it's either giving or receiving a Puff Puff. It's whatever you want it to be. Um, okay. So here are your choices. <clears throat> All right. We've got Orgo Demir, Noct- Nocturnus, and Baramos. Let's say all at level 99. <laughs> For no reason, <laughs> it, it, there's no, no. Oh man! No, uh, no, and I thought no mine difference. was bad. <laughs> Thwack Baramos because no one needs their innards feasted upon. Uh, <laughs> Mary Orgodemir because the jerk's gonna melt away soon enough anyway, and having a bunch <laughs> of the world as a result of it is not bad. And Puff Puff Nocturnus. Because that's the only, because let's face it, you can't marry that level of power. And there's so short, and as we can attest to, there's no way we can beat that level of power. <laughs> I, you I just have think... to not bring a priest. Yeah. But I <laughs> yeah, am a priest. <laughs> well, that was the you biggest can't insult. come, sorry. The biggest insult was like, not that we forgot a priest, but that we won without you. <laughs> it's not that you won without me, it's that you jar jarred your way through it. It's like, if, if it would have been a hard fought you know, struggle. Like, okay, I respect that. But when it's just, yeah, and then we just night watch three times. Nocturnus just kind of went, yeah, I'll give this one to you. How am I supposed to react, respond to that? It's like one of the few weeks I'm not there, and just everything goes your way. <laughs> I think that I would probably, I'm gonna say marry Nocturnus because that dude's gonna put me to sleep, and I need more sleep in my in my life right now. Uh, and then I'd probably, I'd probably puff puff Baramos, and then thwack Orgo Demir because he's got that weird kind of brain on the outside thing, and you know, brain stuff always kind of weirds me out, like in movies. Watching Hannibal, I could, you know, I, I, that just weirds me out. His animations in Dragon Quest of the Stars were gross. The melting? Yeah, yes. He is gross. <laughs> He's gross. Again, uh, yeah. I'm just banking on outliving him and and uh, and inher- inheriting everything that's left over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and if I by marrying Nocturnus at level ninety nine, he's got three chances to put me to sleep. Yeah, but once you're asleep, he'll wake you up. Yeah, probably with a critical. I'll have to equip a shield, a shield scroll. <laughs> How about you, Blue? Oh, I didn't realize we were all going to play. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, dang it! Blindsided with this again. I do think I'll have to go with marrying Nocturnus. Let's thwack Orgadomir because. He's gross, and I guess we'll puff puff Baramos. You both are going to be completely out of innards by the end of this. <laughs> Bold of you to assume I need innards. That I didn't mean, make any sense, but <laughs> I, mean, I priest for I priest for a group of uh, gladiators and a paladin. Bold to assume that anyone has any innards if I'm not healing. <laughs> Um, do, do you know if there was any, I, I see a note on here from Quest of the Stars that I actually don't know if this was from our last episode or That's not. That's from the last episode. <laughs> but did, did, uh, so wait, what, was there a, uh, Quest of the Stars, Dragon Quest Nine? Did we talk about that the last time? So Dragon Quest Nine is not in Dragon Quest of the Stars yet. Um, okay. we just finished Dragon Quest Seven, 
-hmm. and it's probably going to be a hot second. Um, I think I said this on the last uh, episode, but in Japan, after they did Dragon Quest VIII, they actually skipped right to eleven to coincide with the game's release. Uh, so we don't actually know what they're going to do with the global release. If they're going to go, if they're going to actually count in order because nine comes after eight, or if they're going to go in the same order that the Japan version got it. Uh, that said, it's also probably going to be a while because there's a lot of anniversary uh, celebrations going on. And so it's maybe by the end of March, they'll start doing Dragon Quest Eight events. Maybe. Fingers crossed. I just want to be able to dress up like Princess Medea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I, I'm surprised they actually didn't do more of an homage to Nine so far because it's just uh, they took the whole design from Nine and kind of um, spiced it up a little bit for for Quest of the Stars. I mean, the problem is that Nine does not have a cast to play around with, and so unlike when you know when they were doing say four or five, you had a whole cast to have little side story uh, adventures with. And nine, you don't have that. You are going to be either helping one of the, you're going to be helping one of the Questers Rest characters or the Celestrian themselves. And there's less to work with. So I can see why they would have uh, put it off a bit. And I've also just admitted that I played uh, Dragon Quest with Stars for a short while. I'm going to now disavow any uh, further questions or knowledge about this. <laughs> well, now I feel attacked. Uh... <laughs> there's some tension on the podcast here. We better. We better, uh, uh, you know, cut cut through that tension with some additional Mary Thwack Puff Puff. Buddy, are you still on the? Uh, are you still on the mute? I completely miss who you're thwacking or puff puffing. Okay, yeah, let's go back to uh, uh, we we were talking about uh, Orgo Demir, Nocturnus, and Baramos at level ninety nine. All right, um, geez, didn't Nocturnus like his body's not all together? No, that was, uh, that was Mortimer. Nocturnus, That's Mortimer. Nocturnus is the big dude with like jacked muscles and abs and and he takes a lot of crotch damage there's a thaw isn't he the uh reskin of was it duran yeah yeah he's the duran recolor all right uh, i'll marry that guy he he, uh (laughs) he seems like he's got it going on Um, join the club (laughs) yeah orgadamir that guy was always weird looking and i I thought i heard liam saying something about the brain um so thwack that thwack that yeah and baramos has got some curves to him He's definitely <laughs> full figured, you know. Yeah, that's all so, those energies uh, feasting on. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we'll, we'll um, it, it might be disastrous, but uh, I'll get I'll take the puff puff from Bramos. <laughs> <laughs> you are, yeah. We're all very much at risk of getting our our innards feasted on. Yeah, if you're yeah. giving a puff puff to to Bramos. So I, I would say you might probably want to get one from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right right. does that bring us to an end of our discussion that does all right well then that also brings it to the end of this episode of slime time thank you so much rpg wizard uh for joining us to talk about all dragon quest 9 multiplayer thanks so much rpg wizard thanks for having me i only hope more games end up with uh dragon quest 9 like multiplayer I uh, missed the boat when uh, Fantasy Life on the 3DS came out, but that was also level 5, and it played a lot like Dragon Quest IX, but more domestic. So maybe maybe we'll see more games like it. Still hoping another... for a Switch port. Nothing <sighs> would make movie. me happier. That is such a The movie. original Nino Kuni, right? Like the, the original DS version of that was very much uh, uh, level, level 5 uh, Dragon Quest IX style. 
that didn't have any any kind of multiplayer in it, right? Platy. No, that was more. Uh, no. That was a lot more of level five. Just you know, using their um, amazing, uh, fantastic whimsy and complete with like a full spell book that came separately, yeah. uh, and a bit more monster catchery than uh, Dragon Quest Nine's allies who aren't really there. But visually, <laughs> it was quite similar. I would have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Like the maps and everything. Mm-hmm. Although I think the the sound, the music in it was almost like perfectly orchestrated, or like it was re- it was very orchestral and not very synth like. So um, that's one of the things. Like I, I played it uh, about a year ago, and um, and I was like, wow, I can't believe this came out. What a year after Dragon Quest Nine, or like around the same time, but like the music is way, way, way better. The quality just kind of makes you think what an HD remake of Dragon Quest Nine would be like hint hint mm-hmm. <laughs> hint hint square enix all right you might have noticed that the only time we mention patreon is when we say that we don't use patreon we're just longtime fans that want to speak about the game series we know and love so much if you have money you would like to donate consider sliding over to the dragon's den at www.wudis.com den and click on support this site Woodis has owned and maintained the Dragon's Den DQ fan site for over 20 years and would appreciate any donation. Or you can use his Amazon affiliate link to make any purchases, especially ordering new Dragon Quest XI S ports, and a small fraction of the sale will go to support the den. And if you are an advertiser and you're looking for a great new podcast to spend lots of your uh, extra money that you didn't spend on the Super Bowl, Add revenue on, uh, reach out to us at slimetimepodcast at gmail.com. Please use the actual email address and not the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> if you have any comments or questions for us, you can find us on Twitter at platym 3 or at Riyama Celestrian or hit us up both simultaneously at DQ Slime Time. Consider joining in tons of Dragon Quest discussions at the Dragon Zen forums, one of the few remaining uh, forums still around. You can find it um, from the Dragon's Den main page, or just go directly there to www.wudis.com slash forums. I'm still there, crazily posting about what I'm playing, talking uh, fan translations, and other such DQ goodies. Or come hang out with me and King Slime Bururian and tons of other rabid Dragon Quest fans on the more official everyday Dragon's Den Discord server. <laughs> yes, we'd like to thank everyone that has made this possible, like Brian, a.k.a. Woodus, for his support of the series and this podcast and keeping the Dragon's Den's lights on for decades. And thanks to Amanda Laprie and the Descendants of Erdrick for allowing us to use their music for our podcast. Descendants of Erdrick is a video game tribute band from Austin, Texas. Check them out in their most recent album, Advent, at www.descendantsofurdrick.com or on Twitter at D of Erdrick. And check out Amanda Laprie streaming on Twitch. Our thanks to Dwayne Bullock, our wonderful graphic artist and Dragon Quest fan, for making the awesome artwork cover for this podcast. Dwayne was on the original iteration of the Slime Time podcast and many of our episodes. You can check out more of his work at Dwayne Art on Instagram or his website at DwayneBullockArt.BigGartel.com. And if you're looking for more Dragon Quest Slime Time, check out our earlier episodes on Dragon's Den, Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Bye, everyone. Dragon Quest Slime Time, sliming off.